You're listening to The Co Show, a father-daughter intergenerational conversation about the subjects that really matter. Welcome to this very special episode 7 of The Co Show, 30 minutes of cross-generational chat between me Daddy Tony, and a whole generation beneath me, well, not beneath me, but younger than me, my darling daughter and co-host, Tony. Hi, Tony. Hello. <laughs> to kick us off, Tony, from Hastings, this is Tony from Kensington. To kick us off, why is today a special episode? Well, it's your birthday. Yes! <laughs> My birthday. <laughs> Happy yes, birthday, senior tone. <laughs> yes, yes, it's my birthday. Oh, God, no, but I'm feeling old. Are you? Yeah, what Beatles song is connected with today? I don't know. I'll give you a clue, as you're a musical person. da 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 that's not a clue you're just singing it it is will you still be sending me a valentine birthday greetings bottle of wine what's the song called i don't know i'm not actually a beatles fan when i'm 64 boom boom are you 64 yes Oh, yeah. that was like such a solemn yes. <laughs> well, it, well, it, I do feel slightly solemn about it because I'm. I can remember singing that song, you know, like when I was your age and younger, and thinking, "Nah, it's never going to happen." You know, actually wondering whether I would ever get to that age. So I suppose, from, from one point of view, that's a having attained it is a is a celebration. But it does sort of feel. You know, I felt, when I was your age, I felt sort of invincible as though there was so much life ahead. You know, I could, you know, I could afford to, you know, not worry about time. But now I really worry about time. I think there's so little left, you know. So that's my cross-generational perspective from this end. That's really sad. In my head, I did the maths and I was like, I'm in my 30s. My parents could definitely live an extra 30 years, so we've still got some good time left. <laughs> I know that that sounds really, really odd, but in my head I had to calculate how much time I had left, and I was just cause thinking about, you know, when, when my grandparents passed away and stuff like that, and I was just like, I can't bear the thought that there would only be a few years left. And, mm. and then I think, well, actually, feasibly, it could be double my lifetime, so... Um, don't be too sad. I like your perspective better. You're a very healthy person, and I have all the faith that you'll you'll um, probably outlive me. <laughs> uh, no, I, mm. So anyway, what have you been up? What have you been up to during lockdown? And what do you think? That's part one of the question. Part two of the question is: What do you think of the government's plan to take us out of lockdown? So what have I been doing in lockdown? I well you already know that I've been working on this campaign uh which is going really well although 
news this week has really kind of uh, confused me in terms of the timeline because they're now talking about allowing venues to reopen within the next month or just mm-hmm. over a month. Uh, that's not common knowledge, really. So I guess that's a little juicy snippet for our listeners. Wow, that's, um, a, that's major news, if that's correct. It is, it is major news. So they're talking about letting pubs reopen on the 15th of June. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that only outdoors, like takeaway beers? Uh, no. It's, uh, I think that they're going to allow pubs that have outdoor spaces um, to open so that people can buy drinks um, and sit outside, but they'll have to make sure that the tables are spaced um, efficiently, two metres apart. And also they're talking about letting music venues open on the 4th of July. This is not common knowledge. This is from the inside. And, and yeah, so it's, it's not been announced to the public yet but the the our um our options for reopening well not our options our ability to reopen is based on meeting particular criteria you know risk assessments and and being able to uh identify people that are potentially have COVID-19 and reporting on it and stuff like that so actually even though it is it's a conversation of reopening we don't know how it's going to be possible at this stage, but it's not going to be enough to just hold up our hands and say, we can't reopen. You're going to have to continue supporting us to the government. We're going to have to prove that we can't meet the criteria for reopening. Hmm. So the boots on the other foot, as it were, you've got to prove that you can't reopen. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a it, it's a bit of a challenge right now because the campaign was looking like we we're about to move into another phase of the campaign where we were going to try and start paywalling gigs and providing higher quality streams um, because we've predominantly been doing you know like acoustic musicians into the camera and stuff like that and um, and so we we have this timeline of how we were going to keep the campaign interesting and that's all been scuppered or whatever because of um that's not the right word that it's been sort of like blown out of the water with this new news. So I'm Scuppering little... was perfect. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, so we're just, um, yeah, I'm a bit confused as to how our campaign timeline is going to work now. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit scary, really. But how will, you, how will you, in a music venue, how will you do the distancing thing, the two metres apart? So you have to work it out per f- uh, four metre square footage. Is that the right, right word? So basically if you'd imagine it like a grid, Hmm. it would be like two metres to the right, two metres to the left, two metres diagonally, two metres up, two metres down. So you have to kind of like take a floor plan and you have to make a grid and work out how many people you can efficiently sorry, fit in space. Um, But so I would imagine that would mean 25% of our capacity. So for Green Door, that's that's going to be fifty people. That's twenty five. So does that mean you have to put up your prices four times? Um, no, I, I, we again, we have to feed this information back to the government. Um, you know, we have to guide them on our needs, and I would imagine that there'll have to be some sort of part financial support from the government. And yeah, I don't know really at this. So stage. your revenue would drop by three fourths. Yeah, exactly. And then they so would if, have if to. If you imagine that the bar spend per head is about ten pound per head, that's about what five hundred quid. 
So that's just, that's like our cost price for opening. So there, right. there's almost no point. Hmm. Um, and you can't even guarantee that those 50 people are going to come or those 50 people are going to spend that money. So it's really tricky. And also I think, you know, aside from the actual like capacity and being able to get musicians on stage that definitely are immune or have had been vaccinated, you then have to work out how you're going to, you know, distance the musicians on stage and how you're going to sterilize the equipment, like the microphones and the cables and the amplifiers. And what do those costs mean for cleaning and stuff like that and how are we supposed to manage because once you've got the people in the venue how are you then supposed to manage the spacing in between people i mean very difficult i would have thought very very difficult it's rubbish isn't it and also getting people in and out i mean you know i mean that's going to be tough isn't it i mean we have security for that but but our security aren't trained on you know how to keep people you know sterilizing their hands as they come in and you know Mm. make sure people are being uh, hygienic with their cups and stuff like that you know not just picking up random cups or putting them down you know oh, it's, it's just it's a minefield anyway um, that's going to really change your life then if that happens because obviously there's all that for you to manage but also you're going to be going back to commuting well i'm i'm on the shielding list so i don't think that until there's a vaccination i'll be able to go back to work oh okay because you i'm got- not supposed to leave the house so you'd have to do this remotely then essentially yeah i mean my my work can be done remotely it's a shame in terms of i won't be able to see the team but i i can't see myself having to drive three hours a day and keep filling up my you know because petrol stations are like really bad for you know you know people handling the fuel pumps and and then handling money and stuff you just don't want to be you know refueling all the time when it's unnecessary, if it's possible for me to stay at home, it makes sense for me to stay at home. Okay. And so the government's plan for moving us out, I mean, you've, you've dealt with a bit in regard to the potential news on your um, industry, but uh, tomorrow is the 1st of June um, and we're moving into the next phase, um, which I understand means that... Um, well, car showrooms are all opening up. I'm not sure what else is opening up. Um, You've been able to view properties, haven't you? So that's changed. That was already in place for, that's been in place for a little while. So that's not new tomorrow. But yes, we, we've been able to view properties, but you have to, you're supposed to virtually view them first, which actually has been very helpful to us because we're you know, moving to the country and therefore it, it viewing houses means quite a long distance of travel. So being able to view things virtually on the iPhone, you know, is helpful because it enables us to exclude things that where we would go and go, oh, this isn't for us. So you can actually tell a lot more than I thought you could tell from a virtual viewing. I just think this whole thing is balmy. Like when you consider the the deaths in Europe at the moment, I'm looking at the. I just quickly uh, pulled them up because. There were like two deaths in Spain yesterday. There were like six in Ireland, eight in Hungary, um, you know, all, all the way going up to 87 in Italy. But basically all the other countries in Europe are below 87 and they're predominantly below 20. And the UK is was still at 324 deaths yesterday. Yeah. 
and we have eight, we have an infection rate of 8,000 people a day. Uh, but I think what's happening, uh, and this actually goes very much to our cross-generational, uh, ongoing cross-generational conversation, I, I think that there is a generational divide. We have now reached a point where, a tipping point really, where the science, because the science is always going to say, do the most cautious thing. It's always going to say that. Mm. Um, but we're reaching a point where the economy is going to get into serious trouble. And if that happens, the, 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 the damage that can arise from that, and also in terms of deaths, and also in terms of mental illness, etc., uh, can be could become far more catastrophic than the disease itself. So now, now that the now that there has been substantial progress made on keeping the uh, critical cases down that would would have overwhelmed the NHS, we really do need to be looking uh, towards uh, protecting the economy. Um, so I heard an economist a bit older than me yesterday, um, a guy by the name of David Buick, who I think a lot of, and he was saying, look, our, our, us older people have to realize that we need now to protect ourselves and we've got to let the younger generation, because they're going to be sad. The younger generation at the moment are going to be saddled by something that looks like the war debt. You know, that's how serious it is. And they're going to be saddled for that. Our children are going to be saddled with that. And our grandchildren are going to be saddled with that and generations beyond. So, you know, really, with the older generation, like my generation, we need to take care of ourselves and let the younger people get out there and uh, help the economy to recover. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that, I think that, I, I do understand. I think previously, if we'd spoken about this, I would have been like, rubbish i don't believe in herd immunity i i think this is just unnecessary in terms of making people uh sick you know so that we have a functioning economy but actually like i do i do understand and also like regardless of what people think there are always going to be some people that will want to go back to work and make money uh, I, as soon as the need becomes that bad people will go back out and make money you know, if, if, if there isn't, if Tom and I don't have food on the table, I'll be going and getting a job at Morrison's or whatever, which is right. right. Because yeah. that, that, that's what happens when you, you, you are in desperate need. Uh, you don't go and work in, at Morrison's, but I mean, you just, it, you just go and get any job, don't you? Um, so yes, I, but I think there's going to have to be some sort of like, um, intuitive decision regarding vulnerable people yeah well the, i mean the older generation are vulnerable uh, because the the bottom line on the bottom line with this disease and this isn't this is a very much a macro statement but it so it doesn't apply to every situation by any means but from what i understand of the science this is a disease that badly affects and kills people who are over 50 L by and large, people who are under 50 are going to be okay. 
apart from if they have pre-existing exactly but those exceptions yeah but you know so that's the reality of the situation and that's why you know that's why we have to we mean the people over 50 have to just look after ourselves and uh, do do the best to look after ourselves but we've got to let the younger generation get back to work you know we just have to so anyway that's um the beginning of uh our discussion for today uh you're listening to the co show thank you very much uh, dear listener for your support which we really appreciate the feedback that we're getting is has been very helpful indeed if you didn't uh catch it uh, last week in episode 6 we started our discussion about veganism we started we we talked we shared our different journeys to becoming vegan um, i became vegan at the age of 61 what age were you tony when you became vegan remind me i don't know i think it was like 26 yeah so and yeah I'm, so I'm uh, 33 now yeah and i i think that uh, we pretty much if, just to summarize i think that we pretty much uh, came to the conclusion that my motivator was health reasons and your motivator was morality so that was just pretty much where we got to and of course we talked about other aspects of it but i wanted to ask you if you think that people who are not vegan are less moral no i uh, no i definitely don't think that i think that it's easy to to um to i don't know what i was going to say then but i th- i think that you know a lot of the time it's ignorance um and uh the lack of the ability to empathize um i think also if you're trying to talk to someone who's not vegan about veganism they tend to get defensive because it's 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 a bit of a shaming process or you know it it makes you feel ashamed i certainly felt ashamed when people started talking to me about it and that's not the way to approach people i've always felt like well not always but since being vegan i've always felt like one of the best ways to um to kind of like communicate the message is through cooking for people and showing them how delicious food can be without animal products in and just, and, you know, just making them really nice food and just engaging them in, in our lifestyle and, um, and explaining how we got to this point without that, without any kind of shaming process. But, you know, I, I ate meat up until I was 20, 25 or whatever and I ate fish um you know we you brought me up that way as well I know I, I assume that you were brought up that way and I, and I just I don't think that our family were ever engaged really in activism not from what I can tell and you know we just went about our lives the way that we thought we were supposed to you know trying to get good good grades and trying to um better ourselves if we, we if we had a talent that we thought deserved development that we would work on that and we just didn't I didn't even know what activism was and you're talking about specifically activism relating to veganism yeah yeah uh, well you know not maybe activism is the, is the wrong word but the idea of um considering that someone or something has been exploited in order for me to um to experience some sort of satisfaction i guess it is it's a it's in in terms of taste and nutrition like it 
some of the stuff that happens for people to just enjoy a couple of minutes of satisfaction is just absolutely ludicrous. Like you think about that coffee that, that um, gets eaten and digested by a wild cat and then they defecate the beans out and then that becomes a coffee that people drink. And it's like a artisans, you know, coffee. And that like, how would anyone come to that idea? You know, why, why do we have to put an animal through that process just for us to enjoy a cup of coffee? So really then the answer is that, that people who are not vegan are making a, a decision in any way or maybe not making it consciously, but they are making a decision which is morally inferior. Well, we, we, I think we're doing that all the time when we are spending money and supporting something and we don't know what that company, company does or what they are you know, what their processes are. Every time we spend our money, we are supporting someone. And I think it's our responsibility to educate ourselves on where we're putting our money. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I believe that what, you know, it'll sound as though I'm being rather holier than thou when I say it's less moral, but, you know, I, I come from the position of spending the vast majority of my life eating animals and not thinking anything of it. And in fact, when you turn vegan, I would joke with you about right now i'm off to have a big juicy bacon sandwich and say things like that and i was you know a a class a class one Um, (laughs) a-hole and i think you know (laughs) kiki my wife kiki and i were um were discussing this and she was saying yeah actually we, we we were worse than that we were actually very insensitive when tom and tony um tom being your husband uh tom and tony would come around for uh uh for a meal you know we wouldn't really you know, consider, consider their vegan needs. You know, it was, it was regard, I regarded vegans. We regarded vegans as being a bit weird, a bit extreme, but now my thinking has, now that I am vegan and, you know, I did go vegan, as I said, for health reasons, but I've become very, very persuaded by the moral argument. I do think it's, I do think that eating animals or killing animals to eat when they want to continue living I think that is a morally inferior position. Um, and that's not to be a holier-than-thou person because I came from that place and I was terrible. Uh, but, you, you know, like you say, you've got to think these things through. If you're making a buying decision, you're, as you rightly say, you're, su- you're supporting a business. And that business, like let's say it's McDonald's or KFC, they exist on the basis of, of large-scale murdering of animals. Um, and the other thing to say is at the moment, it's a particularly topical thing. I would like to get your perspective on this, but it's a particularly topical thing because factory farming is very closely linked to pandemics. So it makes all kinds of wild farms or wet farms, what they were. Well, that's the most extreme, you know, that's an extreme form of unhygienic way of operating, but factory farming, no matter how, sterile it is or you try and make it is very very likely to give rise to this kind of hopping from animals to humans of viruses so that you know they adapt they they find a way of adapting and attacking the human system um and actually scientists have been warning about that for a lot for for a very long time so we have all sorts of reasons. There's the moral reason, but there's also the survival reason, don't you think? We don't want this happening again, and it's likely to happen 
multiple times again. Yeah, I mean, I think also it's worth um, just bringing up that this is obviously from a position of privilege. You know, if you if you have the um, financial capacity to have boundaries like this, to have a lifestyle in which you say, I'm only going to eat organic or I'm only going to eat um, a vegan uh, diet, then then that's fair enough. But there are people that don't have the ability to make, you know, that aren't privileged enough to make that decision. And they will just eat what they are given by the government or they will just eat what they can afford. Like it, a lot of the time it, um, you know, uh, families will live off frozen food and they'll live, live off frozen meat and, fr- you know, whatever they can get, essentially. You know, we, it's only from a position of privilege that we're able to say no. You know, like if, if, you, if you were living in a country where you had to you know essentially farm or hunt for your own food you wouldn't be saying no i don't think well no of course not of course i i and i i I entirely agree with that we are in that those of us who are in the position of being able to make the better moral decision ought to and 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 i think that you can um, you can draw a parallel with the with slavery you know there was a time when businesses and businesses could not exist without enslaving people. And in yeah. fact, you know, when, when the argument was going on in the United States, which led to the Civil War, when that argument was going on, there was a huge uprising from, from uh, you know, cotton farmers and what you do, people who absolutely relied on slave labor. Uh, when, that, when, it, when, that, when that was threatened, when that financial model was threatened, there was a huge uprising. Mm. Um, uh, and you know, they actually pointed, of course, to the, well, this is another conversation we can get into another time, but they point, they, they used very much the Bible as the, as their defense, because of course the Bible supports, um, the keeping of slaves. Um, so I, th- I see a lot of parallels there. I know, I know people will regard that as probably extreme, but I think it's an important, you know, when, when you are discussing the morality of um, killing animals to eat them. I think it, I think there are a lot of parallels there, don't you? Yeah. And I think a lot of people with the comment that I just made, a lot of people would argue that living a vegan lifestyle isn't expensive anymore. And that actually vegetables are cheaper than meat. But I actually think about if you're going to really consider morals, like eating organic is just, is also really, really important. Um, and eating sustainably as well. So not taking too much from the from the earth um and i think that if you're going to grow vegetables and pulses and fruit and stuff like that organically the way that we we should do it isn't that accessible to to farm to farm things cheaply really um but i think that actually the whole um the whole discussion regarding white privilege is a massive one because obviously we've just had this um awful tragic incident with george floyd yeah Uh, if you could um maybe because we're coming to the end of our time together so if if you could quickly summarize that and what your view is on it uh well um so basically um george floyd was a person of color that was approached by the police um in america and um one of the one of the police um, basically leant on his neck. Uh, he I saw the video. Yeah, I saw he, the video. 
he was. I can't uh, breathe. That's the sort of. Yeah, he was in handcuffs. Phrase, yeah. His arms were behind his back. He wasn't a threat. He, he hadn't, from what I can understand, he hadn't even done anything. And right. um, I don't and, know. Yeah. I don't know that, but I, I you know, I, I don't know enough about the story. But yeah, and the, essentially, that policeman has been charged, doesn't he, with murder? Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't, and it was he was one of four policemen, and 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 George was saying, "I can't breathe, please." He was calling out for his mum. Really horrific video to watch. But this is a systemic issue within the police in America, and, and systemic racism, and it's been going on for years and years and years, and it is being ignored and not addressed. And uh, the people are starting to riot because that's what people do when there is they're so frustrated that they don't know what else to do. You know, and um, it's a shame that we're coming to the end of our conversation because I think that that actually really deserves way more time than our discussion. Well, I think we can, you know, we could, that's something that we can definitely pick up. Um, because I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that I would have a, that will be a different perspective. So um, I just think I'm going to be agreeing, agreeing with you. Well, actually, maybe we could discuss the need for the police in a modern society. Okay, well, write that down because um, I have no idea at the moment what I think about what you just said, but I, I will think about it. And uh, uh, we're coming up now to our last minute. So I'd like to um, thank everybody again for your support. You've been listening to the co show, The Two Tonys. Uh, we'd love to continue to get your feedback. You can email us at the co show podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at co-show podcast and now um we've got a shorter version uh of the um website address that you'll be able to use from tomorrow which is www.tonycoe.com and that will take you to our buzzsprout uh website um so do uh, take a look at that take a look at the last uh, well we're, we'll be up to uh, seven episodes when this one gets uh, published so do take uh, take a look at that and continue to be with us on our journey um, toward you know, our journey through life together at our very different ends uh, of the uh, generational uh, continuum. And I hope you're enjoying our conversations as much as we are. So it's goodbye from me, Daddy Co, and goodbye from <laughs> Baby Co. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a baby, but you know. <laughs> so. See you next week. Bye. Bye for now.